Good morning. It is an honor for me to be here. My name is Jay Watson. I have uh, indeed known Blake for almost exactly 20 years. We uh, worked together at Shades Mountain Baptist Church, and I- I'm honored to be here today because I, I love your pastor, and I love your-, your pastor's wife and their family, and I think they are the finest people. I- I- I'm not a really big fan of pastors, I'll just be honest with you. I- I'm-, I'm forced to have to be with them and spend time with them, and uh, I don't enjoy them in general. <laughs> but I love Blake. And here's why I love Blake, because Blake loves Jesus more than you. Blake knows his highest calling is to Jesus and is to his family. And you guys come maybe third or fourth on that list, and I believe that's what a pastor should be about. And if you want a healthy pastor, if you want um, someone that is going to love your church well and serve your church well and be able to lead from a, a place of truth then I hope that you encourage him to love Jesus more than you. I hope that you encourage him to love his family more than you. The church does not belong to the deacons. The church doesn't belong to the pastor. The church belongs to God. God has his church. It's Blake's calling to his family and to be faithfully loving to them. And I I just... I I love him because he loves Jesus and he loves his family, and I know that he loves you as well, and I'm thankful that that you guys get to be together in ministry, and I'm I'm happy to be here today. This weekend, we studied the Bible. In four hours, we went through uh, the entire uh, sequence of Scripture from Genesis to Revelation, Uh, story really of, of God's salvation that comes from the Bible. It's all connected and how it all fits together, and thank you for for. Uh, journeying with me on this weekend on that trip. Uh, I'm very tired of hearing myself talk, and uh, the good news is I, hopefully I won't waste any words this morning and we will get, we'll get right to it. I think today in the church we, we have a little bit of a, a problem. We don't know the Bible. We don't read it. We don't study. Now, we have rules. We have standards that we expect everybody to live to. It's, it's kind of like when we raise our children and we, we tell our children, hey, I want you to do this. And then they look at you and they go, why? And you say, because I told you to. I think many things in Scripture, many things in the Christian life, we have understanding of what these rules are and how we're supposed to live, but we, don't, we aren't able to answer the why question. And for, for many folks in this current generation that we're raising up, We never answer the why question. And so it looks like a lot of rules, but there's no understanding as to why we do what we do. Today, the question of why is extremely important. Why are we supposed to trust God? Why do we believe that God is love? Why do we believe that God is the answer? Why do we believe that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, and no one can come to the Father but through Him? Why are we supposed to, to, to live that way? Why are we supposed to live differently because of Jesus? I think these are not questions that we answer regularly. I think we just say, well, because I told you so. And for the folks that are sitting over here and the folks that are growing up um, in this current generation, they don't know Scripture, they don't know God. And they just see a set of rules and it doesn't make any sense to them and so they abandon the faith. 
because I said so is not good enough anymore. We have to answer the why question. We say, you need to obey God, you need to be holy, you need to make good choices. And what we do is we create a works-based understanding of life for ourselves. We say, if I do good things and if I do right, well then, then we're going, I'm going to receive blessing. If I do the right things, then God's going to bless me. And, and we think that way because it makes sense to us based on our life experiences. It makes sense to us that if you work hard, then uh, there's going to be, uh, if you work hard, there's going to be results that are based on that. You're going to, you're going to have a good life. You're going to have good things that happen. Um, you're going to be in a place where uh, God blesses you and blesses your life. And the truth is, it doesn't really work that way when it comes to Scripture. The truth is, it doesn't, it doesn't really work that way when it comes to um, understanding God and why we're supposed to live for Him, that God is going to bless us for, for how we live. In my home church, we spend a lot of time talking about who God is and how we're supposed to live in response to Him. And the way that we do that is we come from, from Scripture. We look at God's Word. We look at God's truth. This is a phrase that we talk about a lot of our church. We, we say this phrase a lot. We say, we want to be a church full of people who? We want to be a church full of people who love and follow God's Word. That's one of the core truths that we understand as our church when we talk about living in community together. We say, we want to be a church full of people who love and follow God's Word. So I want to ask you a question. When was the healthiest spiritual moment in your life? When was the moment where you felt like you were growing the most in your faith, where you felt like Jesus was alive in your life and, and, and the Holy Spirit was moving in your life and you just felt the presence of God? When was the healthiest moment in your life? Now, I would say that it's probably during two particular moments for you, and they're probably very connected. The first part was when you were in a healthy faith community with other believers. When you were connected in the faith community where you were both encouraging each other to love and follow God's Word. The second thing I would say, when you were spending time reading Scripture, when you were spending time in God's Word, do you ever have those moments where you open up Scripture and it's like the words leap off into the page, leap off the page into your life, into your heart, into who you are, and it's just like, man, I got to keep reading because I want to know how to live. Those were the moments that you felt such health and growth and, and excitement about God and what was happening. And we, we do those things and we're part of those things, but, but sometimes in our life, other stuff gets in the way. Sometimes in our life, life happens, we start to grow, we start to have an understanding, we feel like we've got it under control. And it's those moments we tend to drift away from God's Word. We tend to drift away from faith community. We do that because we think that we've got it. Then we look back at those times when we were the healthiest or we were growing, we see that we were in God's Word and we were in faith community. And I think today, more than any other time, it's vital for us as a church to actually be Christians. For us as a church to actually be a, be a group full of people who do love and follow God's Word. This morning, we're going to be looking at Psalm 119 to kind of build that truth up in our lives. Psalm 119 is one of the longest psalms 
in the Bible, there are 176 verses. We are going to look and dissect every single one of those this morning. So I hope you brought a snack. We're just going to look at a few. It's a perfect place for us to build this foundation of understanding why and how we need to love and follow God's Word. David, the king of Israel, wrote this. Psalm 119 has these amazing truths. When we think about David, we think about him as being a man after God's own. What a beautiful thing to be said about somebody. To be a man after God's own heart. To be a woman after God's own heart. And Psalm 119 kind of lays out some big truths. One of the things that David says about God in Psalm 119 is that God is good. He says that God's law is truth, and that God is salvation. Psalm 119, verse 68. They're going to be on the screen, I believe. So I'm going to be jumping around. You can look in Psalm 119. I'll talk about the verses, but they'll be up on the screen. Psalm 119, 68. You are good, and you do good. Teach me your statutes. Psalm 119, verse 18, and then verse 81. Verse 81 says, my song, my soul longs for your salvation. I hope in your word. Psalm 119, 18 says, open my eyes that I may behold the wondrous things out of your law. There's a longing for hope. There's, there's this concept of, God, open up my eyes to your truths. Open my eyes up to your wonder. Do you hear these words that David says? He believes that his only hope is from God. He believes that from God comes salvation. He believes that his life and how it's meant to be lived, these are for God and for his truth. And he gets to live for God and for his truth by following his word, by loving his word, by living in his law. For me, if you were to sum up all 176 verses, it would land in Psalm 119, 105. Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. We've heard that scripture before, but I just want you to think about what it means. An actual physical lamp at your feet. There are times in Scripture where it talks about how we want, how we, they, we treat our faith as though it were a race and though we were running. There are times in Scripture where it talks about how we need to strain forward towards what, what lies ahead and forget about what's in our past, and we need to chase after the hope and glory that comes from Christ. There are all these pictures of us walking and moving ahead, but imagine what that would do, be like if we were walking in total darkness. If I were to walk in total darkness, you know how that'd go for me? I'd be on YouTube, like, just right after it happened. It'd go viral. Pastor falls on his face. We fall on our face all the time. And one of the reasons that we do that is because we don't treat God's Word like a light for our pathway, like a lamp that follows our feet. It enlightens and illuminates where we're supposed to be and how we're supposed to live and where we are supposed to walk. This is not just some type of improvement, like six ways to be a better you. This is not just some kind of thing where you say, you know, if I love God and if I live for Him, then He's going to bless my life and He's going to make things a little bit better for me. What David is saying is, God is life. God is everything. God is hope. He is joy. He is salvation. His way and His, uh, His truth are things that light up 
the way that he walks and where he should go. For scripture is the one sure place that he can understand how he's supposed to live. If we're honest, does it sound discouraging to you? Do you think to yourself, well, I'm not really a a person after God's own heart. When I start to think about my life, all I can think about is the way that things have gone wrong. Guilt and shame creep in. And we hear these truths that David says, and they sound so bold. And maybe it's not something that we can relate to. Psalm Psalm 119 almost sounds a little bit unobtainable. It's like David is some kind of super believer. Do you ever feel like that when you read the Bible? Do you ever feel like maybe some of it is just unobtainable? It's not realistic. I think it's really important to remember whenever we read scripture like like Psalm 119 that David was a real life breathing human being. And if you read 1 Samuel and 2 Samuel and you read his story and his life, he is just as messed up as we are. He makes just as many mistakes based on selfishness and pride and lust and the same things that we go through, he goes through. He's a real life human being. Now, when you read Psalms, one of the things that you want to think about is there there are statements of belief and then there are statements to belief. There are lots of times when David says things and he believes them. What he's saying is true, what he knows to be true, and he believes them down in the core of his soul. There are other times that he says things because he wants to believe them. Statements of belief, statements to belief. That's a really important thing when you look at Psalms. So you don't get discouraged, but you realize that if you really look at what he's saying, Some of the stuff he wants to believe and some of the stuff he is believing, but he wants these things in his life. David wants to be faithful. He wants to be healthy in the way that he looks at his life and the way he looks at God. He's longing for salvation. He's longing to be made righteous. Look at verse 86. He says, all your commandments are sure. They persecute me with falsehood. Help me. My version has an exclamation point next to it. Help me. Now that's something we can relate to, right? Help me. David was begging for help. We need help. The first way that David asked for help in every part of his life, really, is he asked for it in his mind. David has this desire to have a heart that values the things of God, delights in the things of God, meditates on the things of God, meditates on God's laws. He thinks about how God is and who God is, and he wants God to change his mind because he also thinks destructive thoughts. Verse 16 is a great example. He says, I will delight in your statutes. I will not forget your word. Do you notice the I wills? Like when you read the I wills, it's important to also remember there have been times in his life where he didn't delight in God's statutes. He didn't remember God's word. These are things that he wants and he wants God to help in his life. Verse 72 says, the law of your mouth 
is better to me than thousands of gold and silver pieces. Do you believe that? I honestly think that in our culture and in our world, the thing that we think will fix all of our problems is not God, but money. If I just had a little bit more money, if I were just a little bit more comfortable, if I just had these things, then my life would be a little bit more better. And so we put our hope and our trust in that. And what David is saying is, God, I believe in your laws and your truths, and I want to delight so much in those that it's better for me to live that way and think that way than to have gold or silver. And don't forget that he says, I will. Not that he has, but he wants. The value of Scripture for David revolves around the revelation of God influencing his mind to help him to obey. He says God is good, his word is good, and he wants his mind to be refocused on that. Romans 6 is one of my favorite passages of Scripture because I believe it's verse six, uh, chapter 6, verse 14 that says that we should consider ourselves alive in Christ Jesus. The battle for so much of our life and our faith and how we think about God happens right here. Our mind needs to be refocused and think about the good things of God. Verse 32 says this, Psalm 119 verse 32, I will run in the ways of your commandments when you enlarge my heart. Now, if you were to go to the doctor today and they were to tell you that you had an enlarged heart, that would not be something you would be excited about. But the thing that David's pointing out is that his heart is small. Not literally, but but in his compassion for other people, in his compassion for how he loves God, he has a small heart in his mind. I think that's something we can relate to. I think we struggle with wanting to have a heart for others. And David is saying, God, increase my heart. Increase my desire to love other people. When you do that, then I am going to run in the way of your commandments. David is begging for help to be different. The second thing that I see in Psalm 119 is an urging and a desire for authenticity. Verse 28. My soul melts away for sorrow. Strengthen me according to your word. Verse 133. Keep steady my steps according to your promise and let no iniquity get dominion over me. Verse 61. Though the cords of the wicked ensnare me, I do not forget your law. That last one has this picture for me of a wild animal being ensnared and trapped, running through the forest and the the, the cords and the vines grab them and they're stuck and they're ensnared and they just, the more they try, the more they get stuck. David feels that way and he wants to remember God's ways and God's truth. He says, keep me steady and keep my steps steady according to your promise and don't let any iniquity get dominion over me. This is not some super Christian. This is a normal human being that is worried that his desires and what he wants and his selfish ways are going to take over his life, take control over his life. I think that's something that we can relate to. He's saying, steady my steps according to your promise. He says, my soul melts away for sorrow. 
Do you know what it's like to experience sorrow? Do you know what it's like to experience hurting? David finds strength. David wants help from God in those moments from truth, from Scripture, to be remembered of God's hope. Psalm 119, verses 5 through 8 says this, Oh, that my ways may be steadfast in keeping your statutes. Then I shall not be put to shame, having my eyes fixed on all your commandments. I will praise you with an upright heart when I learn your righteous rules. I will keep your statutes. Do not utterly forsake me. Have you ever asked for this from God? Have you ever begged that he would keep your path steady, that you would fix your eyes on his truths? David is asking and begging to obey God's law. And the reason that he wants this is because he wants to be healthy. He wants to be holy. He wants to belong to God, heart, soul, and mind. He wants it. He's not there. He is asking God for help in every part of his life. And he believes that the answer to that comes from God's truth, from Scripture. He wants to love and follow God's Word because he loves God. He believes in God. God has done amazing things in his life, and he wants to live for him, and he believes the answer to that is from Scripture. I think it's also hugely important to remember that David, as a real-life human being, also goes through very real problems. Verse 86 says this, all your commandments are sure, but they persecute me with falsehood. Help me. You think, well, David uh, was a king. David had whatever he wanted. David had the riches. David had the wealth. Well, the truth is, there was a time in David's life where he didn't have anything. Yeah, he had his family. He was a shepherd. Then this man named Samuel shows up and anoints him as king, and his life goes into ruin for a little while. The current king, Saul, disobeyed God, lost God's favor, lost the presence of God in his life, and knew that at some point he would die and he would no longer be king, and someone else was going to be king. That someone else became David. Saul knew it. God had removed his favor from his presence, and Saul experienced a quick descent into madness. Chases after David. David does nothing wrong. David doesn't deserve it. David was minding his own business, taking care of sheep. He plays a little harp. That's all David does in his life. He's not looking for this trouble, but trouble finds him. He did nothing to deserve Saul. Saul got so crazy that he was throwing spears at him, trying to kill him. Now, if there's anything that you learn from 1 Samuel, it could be that Saul is an awful aim. At one point, David goes to the city and a priest helps him. Saul shows up and he kills the priest. He kills the priest's family. He kills over 76 people that are of the lineage of God's priests. David has some real problems. David's family is scared. David's people are scared. And at one point, David has so much of nothing that he has 600 
other people that are with him that are also scared and that are also running. So it's not only his problems where he's worried about his own life, but now he's trying to take care of 600 other people that are just as scared and alone and terrified of Saul as he is. And they find himself inside of a cave hiding. Somebody turns him in. First Samuel chapter 4, chapter 24, somebody turns him in. Saul hears about it. Saul gets on his horse. He takes off after it. He brings 3,000 soldiers after him. 3,000 soldiers are chasing these 600 wounded and weary people hiding in caves so they don't get caught. Saul's looking. He's running. He gets tired and he decides, you know what? I'm going to go relieve myself. It is gross, but it's in Scripture, so you can't get upset with me. He goes into the cave. It's the first recorded history of a restroom. He's relieving himself. He's, he's taking care of himself. He's just, just taking a little break. The 3,000 people are out in the field. What he happens to do is he walks into the same cave where these 600 people are hiding and where David is hiding. David has an opportunity to take matters into his own hands. David has an opportunity to end Saul right there. His men see him and they say, you got to kill him. You kill him right now, we get to go home. You get to have a parade. You get to become king. Life get, instantly gets better. So David sneaks up. David cuts a piece of the robe off of Saul's kingly robe. <laughs> he cuts a piece of it off. We tell this story and it's so impressive because we tell the story and we think about how David's righteous and how Saul is unrighteous and how David is sneaky and, and Saul, you know, is not paying attention and how David is such a good man and he's righteous and he has a man after God's own heart. But what happens in verse 4 of this passage, I mean, what happens right there in verse 5 in 1 Samuel 24 is David's heart strikes him because he realizes that he broke God's law. So he's in a cave with 600 people. There are 3,000 soldiers. He could end Saul's life right here. He cuts off this hem of his robe. He has this piece of his robe. And he realizes that he's broke God's law because Saul is God's chosen king for that moment and no harm is supposed to come to him. So Saul gets done doing what Saul gets done doing. He has a piece of his robe gone. He walks back out into the field and David walks out after him. David begins to yell, look at what it says in verse 8. It says, afterward, David also arose and went out of the cave, and he called after Saul, my lord, the king. And when Saul looked behind him, David bowed with his face to the earth and paid homage. Now, I, 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 want, to explain, I, I want to explain to you what has happened here, Okay. David had a chance to take matters into his own hands and end this craziness that was happening to his life that he didn't deserve. Rather than kill him, he cuts a piece off and he wants to prove that, that he is better than Saul, that he would never hurt him. And he comes out and the first thing he does in the field is he bows down to Saul and calls him, my lord, the king. He confesses what he's done. And this is essentially what he says if you look at this passage. For David, it is more important to follow God and serve him than it is to win. David wants God more than he wants winning. Would you rather have God 
more than winning? In front of 3,000 soldiers, he gives himself up. He says, I care more about pleasing God than I do winning. You read Psalm 119 and you hear David, you realize that he is asking for help in every part of his life. He wants to be faithful to God. He wants, more, he wants God more than he wants to be found good or right. We want to be found good and right. We want to be blessed for our good and rightness. David just wants God. He says, I care more about pleasing God than I do winning. He wants God, he wants to live for God more than anything else. More than winning, more than getting his way, more than getting comfort. Why? Psalm 119 verse 18. Open my eyes that I may behold the wondrous things of your law. Verse 27, make me understand the way of your precepts, and I will meditate on your wondrous works. David is asking for help in all fronts of his life, his eyes, his heart, his understanding, wisdom. The reason for this is because he believes God is the answer to everything. He's seen it come alive in Scripture. When we look at Scripture, If we bother to open it up, what we'll see is God's constant goodness, his complete, steady faithfulness. From Genesis to Revelation, just like we studied this past weekend, God keeps his promises. God never fails. Things look like they're going the the wrong way and going sideways, but God uses every moment for his glory and good. Do you think this way? Would you rather serve God or win? Would you rather live for God in a cave or keep your comfort? Do you really believe that God is the answer? David asked for help on all fronts because he needed it. He needed it. We need it. It was real to him. God was real in in his life. Is God real to you? Psalm 119, 105. Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. Is it? Jesus takes the picture one step farther. In John chapter 8, verse 12, he says, Again, Jesus spoke to them, saying, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Our answer is Jesus. Our only hope, the fullness of hope, is Jesus. Our salvation is Jesus. The whole point of the Bible is the salvation that comes from God through Jesus Christ. His life, his ministry, his death, his resurrection. He's been pointing to that truth all throughout Scripture since the beginning of time. Jesus is the answer. Jesus is our only hope. There is no confusion in Scripture. It's super clear. The Bible reveals this truth over and over and over. The question is, are you willing to give your life to Jesus? 
we willing to bow down in the field like David did? David wasn't amazing because of his good works. He loved God and he trusted him. He wanted help in every area of his life. Do you? Do you want help in every area of your life? Do you want your life to be about God? What would that look like for us today? Last scripture I'll read this morning is Mark chapter 8, verse 34. Calling the crowd to him with his disciples, he said to them, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. Whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels will save it. For what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? For whoever is ashamed of me and of my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, of him will the Son of Man also be ashamed when it comes in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. You know what that says? You can't trick God. You can't fool him. You either love God and you want him to be in every part of your life or you don't and he knows it. The question is, do you love and follow God's word? The reason that we love and follow God's word is because we believe in God. It's because we love God and God's great love for us is shown throughout scripture. He's calling us to die to our selfishness. He's calling us to cling to him, to love and to follow God's word because his word is answers for life. It's the way to know God. It's the way to see Jesus. It's the way for us to understand how to live. It's help with everything. I want you guys to bow your heads. Just a moment. We will continue in worship. Blake will come and stand up front, and it'll be just like every Sunday that you've probably experienced here in this place. It's my prayer that if God moves in your heart, if you feel led to ask God for help in every part of your life, that he will give you strength and boldness and courage to do something about it today right now. Father, I pray that you will use your word and your truth and you will move in power. I pray that you will convict us. You will help us to understand that you are the answer for everything. You are help for everything. God, help us to fall in love with your word. Help us to follow you in every part of our life. In Jesus' name, amen.